0: Welcome to the OrthoEvalPal podcast where we can help you build confidence with your orthopedic evaluation and management skills. We hope you enjoy the show. And now for your host, Paul Marquis. Hello everyone
1: and welcome to episode 239 of the Ortho Eval Pal podcast. I'm your host, Paul Marquis, and today we're going to be talking about rehab tips for post-op lumbar fusion patients. We'll be discussing and reviewing what a lumbar fusion is We'll discuss why patients have to have a lumbar fusion, talk about post-op fusion considerations, and then we'll cover some do's and don'ts after fusion surgery and so much more. But if you don't mind holding for a moment, we're going to hear a word from our wonderful sponsors.
0: At MedCore Professionals, we offer mobility aids, bracing and supports, compression garments, post-mastectomy care, and much more.
1: Your health and well-being are important to us. Your recovery
0: is our priority. Our certified team will guide you to the right products based on your medical needs, recent procedures, or mobility restrictions. Visit us on Route 1 in
1: Scarborough or at MedcorePro.com. We are Mark and Kelly Hassett,
0: owners of MedCorp. And we keep you moving forward. This episode is sponsored by MedBridge. Harnessing the power of technology to help you advance your career and improve patient outcomes, MedBridge delivers over 2,000 evidence-based CE courses and more than 7,000 specialized patient exercises available whenever you need them from wherever you are. MedBridge goes beyond CEUs. They're leading the space. From interactive webinars led by top industry leaders to the first-ever HEP patient mobile app, MedBridge has taken learning to the next level for over 200,000 PTs, OTs, ATs, SLPs, and nurses, and those they serve. For a limited time, use promo code OEP to receive $175 off your annual subscription.
1: Welcome back, everyone. So it's been kind of a wild ride for Paul here at OrthoEvalPel. As some of you know, I don't only podcast and YouTube and uh, have a 40 to 50 hour a week job uh, doing physical therapy. But I'm also a tree farmer, and it's that time of year where we do a lot of digging and transplanting and all that good stuff. So um, it's been kind of a tough time trying to get in this podcast. But I just recently did some coaching with a, a great uh, student uh, by the name of Jessica, and she had some great questions about lumbar fusion, and we we discussed you know the whole you know top to bottom what it is and how we manage fusions after surgery. And I thought you know this would be a great podcast to talk about. And of course, this is one of those where we could go on forever. So I'm going to do my very best to try to, you know, minimize it a little bit and really keep to the point uh, of what we are trying to get to, which is going to be those tips, you know, for uh, those patients who are post-op after lumbar fusion surgery. So let's just do a little, you know review here about lumbar fusion and what we'll do today is just for the sake of the ease of understanding of the lumbar fusion we're just going to pick l4 and l5 as the two segments that are giving us trouble and um we'll just kind of talk about those two just to make it easy so number one why do people have lumbar fusion well the big one is neurogenic claudication patient tells you you know they walk a certain distance and it might be 100 feet 200 feet maybe a couple hundred yards the legs start to become uh, painful posteriorly so like the low back down into the glutes into the hips maybe even to the thighs it could be anterior it could be posterior or lateral depending on which um, level it's at they sit down or they bend over for a little bit and then they can get back up and continue walking, but they can only get that same distance. So that's pretty much the definition of neurogenic claudication. So that distance is very limited, but also reproducible as far as distance goes. Usually this is bilateral, so you'll get discomfort bilaterally, unlike a herniated disc or nerve root compression, which may be most of the time unilateral. And um, people can also have this sense of instability when they're walking, when they have, you know, lumbar spinal stenosis or severe spondylolisthesis. Uh, They'll feel like the legs get a little bit wobbly and it gets, uh, you know, quite uncomfortable. We also see with these folks that their facet joints get quite angry. And, um, you know, they're oftentimes arthritic, inflamed, and uh, they'll get this kind of this sharp, like a stab in the back, it doesn't necessarily go down the leg, but it can migrate across the back um, and it can really catch them really suddenly. So it's more acute in nature, generally settles down after a little bit of rest. So oftentimes these people who have lumbar spinal stenosis will, you know, they they can have equal reflexes, equal sensation, equal distal muscle strength and equal And negative straight leg raises bilaterally and that's because they're usually in the sitting position when we're testing them so those foramen are opened up the nerve roots are not getting compressed. So you'll not see some of these uh, diagnostic evaluative things pop up and, and be positive. So that's kind of common for them. Usually these folks, though, before they have fusion surgery, will undergo like a laminectomy or foraminotomy, maybe a discectomy to offload those nerve roots and make a little bit more space and to buy them some time. They'll often have some pretty good relief early on, but over time, uh, you know, the L4 will collapse on top of L5. So basically the house collapses on the foundation and um, those foramen start to close in a little bit. And, um, you know, then that fusion can be inevitable where we have to kind of make more space for that nerve root. And so that's kind of, you know, why people have to have a fusion surgery. Now, what happens in surgery? Now, first of all, I'm not a neurosurgeon. I have worked with some for many years, 29 to 30 years now, and uh, they've done a great job at explaining to me what they do in surgery. Um, and I don't want it to sound like we are downplaying fusion surgery and that it is easy. It is not easy. I have the utmost respect for neurosurgeons and the work that they do. Um, And I've worked with some of them very closely and and I I totally respect everything they do. What I'm going to do is I'm going to try to sum this up so that you can understand the surgery a little bit better. And then when you can understand that better, then you will understand why you should modify your rehab more than you probably do now. So patient goes in for surgery. They're placed in a prone position. The surgeon identifies the area to fuse and we'll be talking about L4 and L5. The surgeon has to go through a lot of soft tissue to get to that vertebrae. So if, all, if any of you are therapists who have or medical providers who have been uh, in gross lab, you know that when you take a look at those, those cadavers, it is very thick between the skin and the vertebrae, okay? So it, it takes quite a bit to get in there and to get that deep. They get to the area that's needed and they really clean out a lot of that uh, disc material, they remove some of the obstacles, you know, like spurs and and hypertrophied ligaments and so on. So they try to clean that out so that they can make more room for the spinal canal and also for the, uh, the nerve roots that come out through the foramen. Then they basically, <clears throat> excuse me, quote unquote, jack the house off the foundation. So separate L4 from L5. Use a spacer in between those vertebral bodies, you know, kind of like a cinder block to separate the two of them and, uh, basically keep that space. So once, once you have that space, you keep the vertebral body separated, the vertebral foramen stay a little more open and the nerve roots have a, a better chance of breathing a little bit. Um, they'll throw in a little bit of bone paste in there, you know, basically like Bondo fill in the uh, space and, um, You know, and basically what they do is they try to unload the facets, okay? So with some instrumentation, they'll then on the posterior side, uh, you know, make sure that the posterior aspect doesn't collapse. So there may be some rods or some screws to help hold that posterior side elevated also. So the spacer helps to hold the, verte- the vertebral bodies apart and then instrumentation on the posterior side to hold the posterior side apart. So the house is equally balanced up off the foundation with more room in between. Okay. And so once that is uh, all done, they close up and you've got a lot of this soft tissue that is closed up and, uh, you know, obviously is going to need some caring for. Um, So remember, this is a fusion surgery. Okay. So it needs to fuse. That's what we want. Now we often get excited about you know getting people into rehab right away and you know get them going, get them going, get them going. And with certain diagnoses, that's a must. You know, you have a Dupuytren's release, you have to get them in there like that day or the next day and get things loosened up and moving so they don't scar back down again. You know, lumbar fusion surgery is a little bit different. We want that those two segments to fuse up, and so. But can we teach these people something? And number one, patient education is the key. Okay. You want to teach them how to not unfuse themselves. Okay. Or you don't want that fusion to get disrupted. You want that instrumentation to take hold. And uh, you you are looking for those vertebrae to be fused. So if you are looking uh, for some educational material on what you can do with your patients, I'll put a link in the video on a video that I did on how to get your patient from the hospital to the home and what to do when they are in the home right after back surgery. Okay. And so I'll add that to it. and And it's just something that I kind of threw together. I just felt there was a void out there on patients and how they manage themselves. You look at the pamphlets they give you, the post-op pamphlets, and it's like, 30 pages long and really dry. Um, so we can get through this video in like 15, 16 minutes. And it really gives a lot of education on what to do post operatively and how to not unfuse yourself. OK, now, the second big thing is that you need to remember this was a very big surgery. OK, it takes a long time to heal. And so you need to remember that you know your time frames are, are not going to be you know in two three weeks you're going to be back on track. You need to let this the structure heal. Now it's going to take even longer if your patient was a diabetic or maybe they're a tobacco user. The outcomes are a little bit less promising and can take a lot longer. And if they're osteoporotic, you need to be careful. So I just I'm a little more conservative with those folks and I give it a little bit more time and uh, before I start pushing a little bit harder, remember that the vertebrae are not very vascular, especially as you get older, you start to lose you know, the capillary blood supply to the vertebrae so it can take even a little bit longer to to heal. Movement is important, all right? And I'm a big advocate of walking early on. But what I don't like is that some people think that they they should walk more, and the more that they do, the better it is. So what I usually do is I start off with something nice and easy. Like, I want you to walk 200 feet five times a day. And I tell them, you know, it's better to break it up several times and take small walks than to go for a 1,000 foot walk all at one time. Okay. And then I slowly increase that. So I want to keep them active. I don't want them laying, sitting, or standing for a long period of time. They should break up their activities often. Okay. Next thing you need to make sure of is that, you know, you're taking care of this incision. They're going to have some incisional discomfort. They have to go really deep with this. So ice can help with that. Getting some compression on that incision is important because kind of like a volcano, you know, you look down a volcano, it's a big tube. The lava starts from the bottom. It works its way out. Now, if you could cap a a volcano, you know, that lava is still going to want to push out as much as possible. And same thing happens with this incision. It's a really deep incision fluid and swelling will build up in that and kind of push out at that incision and it can be pretty swollen and that can actually cause some pain. So getting some sort of compression on there, like a little pillow or something that you can, you know, sit up against on a chair that will push at that incision can really help keep that swelling at bay. So make sure you check out the incision after surgery and, and, and take care of that. They are much smaller than they used to be, but it's still surgery. Okay, Um, and again, you know, you'll hear your the next one you will hear is something that's quite common. No BLTs, no bending, lifting or twisting. Well, that's not always practical, especially if you live alone and you have back surgery. But I think it's important as therapists that we teach people proper body mechanics. Um, To be totally honest with you, I think that all people who are undergoing lumbar spine surgery should be sent for at least one visit of pre-op education. This is how you lift. This is how you push. This is how you pull. This is how you get something out of the refrigerator. Um, this is how you should, uh, sit on the side of your bed and log roll to get into bed. And all of these little activities can be really helpful in protecting the patient after surgery. Okay. Oftentimes these surgeries are now like one day surgery and they go home and they're on their own to manage themselves until they have some sort of a follow-up three, four, five, six weeks later. Um, So when do you start actual physical therapy with these folks? Well, you know, with the group that I work with, the neurosurgical group that I work with, we like to get people, you know, about four to six weeks starting some physical therapy or usually after the x-rays are taken and it shows that the uh, instrumentation is in good shape and that everything is stable. uh, It's a great time to start patients uh, in therapy. Sometimes we hold a little bit longer if, if, like I said, they're tobacco users or maybe they're diabetic, um, just to allow a little bit more healing. But what should we be most careful with when we see somebody who's had lumbar spine surgery? Well, extremes of lumbar spinal motion. We always have this feeling like we need to increase motion, increase motion, increase motion, and we need to be cautious. If somebody is standing and loading. And there's an axial load on the spine, and they are bending off to one side to lift something heavy off the floor, or to even bend forward to reach for their feet. We need to be cautious about that. Okay, we don't need to go through extremes of motion, but spinal motion is very important. Okay, it rotates, it flexes, it extends, it laterally flexes, and laterally uh, moves to the other side. And so we know the spine needs to move, but again, we want to make sure that we don't disrupt that fusion. So, um. I don't mobilize that fused area very much. I do like to mobilize the thoracic spine. If you can get them into a comfortable position, I'll occasionally do some gentle PA mobilizations. If the patient does not have good spinal extension, they're over utilizing the lumbar spine to move. So if I find they have a real rigid thoracic spine, I might do some real gentle PA mobilizations. You can even do them, you know, while they're sitting up in a chair. I prefer to do it in a kind of a, Prone position with lots of pillows under the belly, so they are semi-flexed and not go into an extended position. I really try to avoid a lot of extension with uh, spinal fusion patients. That really stresses that fusion a lot. Um, I also have them avoid heavy lifting, but, you know, light lifting is not a bad thing. I mean, we know we need to load um, the spine. We need to load bones after surgery. That helps uh, with healing and building bone integrity. I really try to, you know, have people minimize smoking or use of tobacco products afterwards. So I really talk to them about that, that that they're um, not taking in as much oxygen as they need to for good bone healing. And I really try to go about it that way uh, with education. Uh, And, uh, you know, there are uh, some studies out there that talk about not utilizing NSAIDs soon after surgery and that there's less bony uh, uptake. So, uh, you know, I try to avoid that. I'll use, you know, ice for pain control. Compression alone can be helpful and uh, just, you know, minimizing too much activity. I love, um, you know, progressing into some sort of a cardiovascular program. Okay, so I like to do three forms of cardio. I like to do a little bit of biking, a little bit of upper body biking and some treadmill use. Okay, all very safe on a fusion. What I'm looking for here is that gentle, rhythmic rocking and stable and, and movement like I talked about in a recent podcast, and that is inhibitory. That also b- brings blood flow to the spine. And so with the upper body bike, helps to get that cardiac um, rate up there. It also helps to get that upper thoracic, lower thoracic, mid thoracic region, and even upper lumbar region rocking a little bit. Lower body bike, just the opposite. We're getting the bottom side. And then some treadmill walking. We want them weight bearing and trying to work on getting that erect posture again um, I also start right up right away with some transverse abdominis activation exercises um, you know we know that the TRA and the multifidus muscles get shut down whenever you've had a history of back pain and um, I think I've done a podcast on just that alone too I'll see if I can maybe link that in the show notes uh, and talk about the importance of the transverse abdominus and how it functions but that needs to get turned back on so that you can develop uh, an innate uh, activation of your core before the rest of your body starts to work. Okay, then I like to get into a re-strengthening program and hit the weak spots. You know, if, if somebody's had a, a significant L4 compression with this, and uh, they have some, uh, you know, foot slap, or drop foot, maybe their quads are giving out, they had some L3, L4. Uh, I'll work on those muscles that were weak prior to surgery to try to build those back up. So I really like to hit the plantar flexors, dorsiflexors, flexors, um, quads and glutes. I really emphasize uh, proprioception and, um, you know, body mechanics training, try to get their balance back. And I do that with body mechanics activities, okay? So even if it's standing on one leg, keeping the core nice and tight, shoulders back uh, in a good position, that's really uh, helpful in getting these people back on their feet. I like to address the pain, spasm, you know, and any difficulties they have with activities of daily living. We work on modifying that. Um, And then I really like to work on postural retraining. I'm big on thoracic kyphosis reduction. You need to remember that people uh, who have lumbar spinal stenosis generally fall into a flexed position. These folks also oftentimes have hip arthritis. And so they don't like to extend the hip when they're walking because it agitates the lumbar spinal stenosis. So, you know, they've been flexed for a long time. Let's work on periscapular strengthening and trying to get them into a more erect posture. Uh, and that can be very helpful in moving them forward. Ultimately, you know, I, I I do the cardio activities at five minutes apiece, and then I increase that a minute each exercise, so I build them up so that they're doing at least a half hour of cardio exercise, and then along with some of the core stabilization, body mechanics training, and then ultimately some higher level um, strength training. Uh, so that is. You know, treating fusion patients in a nutshell. I know it was a little longer podcast than usual, but if you have any questions, please feel free to shoot them my way and I'll do my best to try to answer those. And uh, thank you so much for all the comments that everybody makes because it really keeps me activated in regards to thinking of, you know, content that we need to put up here that is relevant for getting people back on their feet faster and making you more confident with your orthopedic evaluation skills. So folks, thanks again for listening. I really appreciate your time and take care.
0: We hope you've enjoyed the show. For some more awesome content, go to orthoevalpal.com. Can't wait to see you there.